Book Two, Canto Twelve, The Legend of Sir Gaian. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please go to LibriVox.org. The Fairy Queen by Edmund Spencer. Book Two, The Legend of Sir Gaian, Canto Twelve. Gion by Palmer's governance, passing through perils great, doth overthrow the bower of bliss, and Acrasia defeat. Now gins this goodly frame of temperance fairly to rise, and her adorned head to prick of highest praise forth to advance, formally grounded and fast settled, on firm foundation of true bounty head and that brave knight that for this virtue fights now comes to point of that same perilous stead where pleasure dwells in sensual delights mongst thousand dangers and ten thousand magic mights two days now in that sea he sailed has ne ever land beheld ne living wight ne aught save peril still as he did pass, though when appeared the third morrow bright, upon the waves to spread her trembling light, and hideous roaring far away they heard, that all their senses filled with affright, and straight they saw the raging surges reared, up to the skies, that them of drowning made afeard. Said then the boatman, Palmer, steer aright and keep an even course, for yonder way we needs must pass. God do us well aquite. That is the gulf of greediness, they say, that deep engorgeth all this world's prey, which having swallowed up excessively, he soon in vomit up again doth lay, and belcheth forth his superfluity, that all the seas for fear do seem a way to fly. On the other side, an hideous rock is pight of mighty magnus stone, whose craggy clift, depending from on high, dreadful to sight, over the waves his rugged arms doth lift, and threateneth down to throw his ragged rift on whoso cometh nigh. Yet nigh it draws all passengers that none from it can shift, for whiles they fly that gulf's devouring jaws they on this rock are rent and sunk in helpless waves forward they pass and strongly he them rose until they nigh unto that gulf arrive where stream more violent and greedy grows then he with all his puissance doth strive to strike his oars and mightily doth drive the hollow vessel through the threatful wave which gaping wide to swallow them alive in the huge abyss of his engulfing grave doth roar at them in vain and with great terror rave they passing by that grisly mouth did see sucking the seas into his entrails deep that seemed more horrible than hell to be or that dark dreadful hole of tartar steep through which the damned ghosts don't often creep, 
Back to the world, bad livers to torment, But naught that falls into this direful deep, Nay, that approacheth nigh the wide descent, May back return, but is condemned to be drent. On the other side they saw that perilous rock, Threatening itself on them to ruinate, On whose sharp cliffs the ribs of vessels broke, And shivered ships, which had been wrecked late, Yet stuck with carcasses exanimate, Of such as having all their substance spent, In wanton joys and lusts intemperate, Did afterwards make shipwreck violent, Both of their life and fame for ever, foully blent for thy this height the rock of vile reproach a dangerous and detestable place to which nor fish nor fowl did once approach but yelling mews with seagulls horse and base and cormorants with birds of ravenous race which still sate waiting on that wasteful cliff for spoil of wretches whose unhappy case, after lost credit and consumed thrift, at last them driven hath to this despairful drift. The palmer, seeing them in safety past, thus said, Behold the ensembles in our sights of lustful luxury and thriftless waste, what now is left of miserable whites, which spent their looser days in lewd delights, but shame and sad reproach here to be read, by these rent relics, speaking of their ill plights, let all that live hereby be counselled to shun rock of reproach, and it as death to dread. So forth they rowed, and that ferryman with his stiff oars did brush the sea so strong that the hoar waters from his frigate ran and the light bubbles danced all along, whilst the salt brine out of the billows sprung, at last far off they many islands spy, on every side floating the floods among. Then said the knight, Lo, I the land descry, therefore, old sire, thy course do thereunto apply. That may not be, said then the ferryman, Least we unwitting hap to be fordone, For those same islands, seeming now and then, Are not firm land, nor any certain one, But straggling plots, which to and fro do run In the wide waters. Therefore are they height the wandering islands. Therefore do them shun, for they have oft drawn many a wandering wight into most deadly danger and distressed plight yet well they seem to him that far doth view both far and fruitful and the ground dispread with grassy green of delectable hue and the tall trees with leaves apparelled are decked with blossoms dyed in white and red that mote the passengers thereto allure but whosoever once hath fastened his foot thereon may never it recure, but wandereth evermore uncertain and unsure. As the Isle of Delos will all men report, amid the Aegean sea long time did stray, ne made for shipping any certain port, till that Latona travelling that way 
flying from Juno's wrath and hard assay of her fair twins, was there delivered, which afterwards did rule the night and day. Thenceforth it firmly was established, and for Apollo's honour highly harried. They to him hearken, as beseemeth meet, and pass on forward. So their way does lie, that one of those same islands which do fleet in the wide sea, they needs must passen by, which seemed so sweet and pleasant to the eye that it would tempt a man to touch him there. Upon the bank they sitting did espy a dainty damsel, dressing of her hair, by whom a little skippet floating did appear. She them, espying, loud to them can call, bidding them nigher draw unto the shore, for she had cause to busy them withal, and therewith loudly laughed. But nay the more would they once turn, but kept on as afore, which when she saw, she left her locks undight, and running to her boat without an oar, from the departing land it launched light, and after them did drive with all her power and might. Whom overtaking, she in Mary's sort them gan to board in purpose diversely, now feigning dalliance and wanton sport, now throwing forth lewd words immodestly, till that the palmer gan full bitterly her to rebuke, for being loose and light, which not abiding, but more scornfully scoffing at him, that did her justly white, she turned her boat about, and from them rowed quite. That was the wanton Phaedria, which late did ferry him over the idle lake, whom not regarding, they kept on their gate, and all her vain allurements did forsake, when them the wary boatman thus bespake, Here now behoveth us well to avise, and of our safety good heed to take, for here before a perilous passage lies, where many mermaids haunt, making false melodies. But by the way there is a great quicksand, and a whirlpool of hidden jeopardy. Therefore, Sir Palmer, keep an even hand, for twixt to them both the narrow way doth lie. Scarce had he said, when hard at hand they spy, that quicksand nigh with water covered. But by the checked wave they did descry it plain, and by the sea discolored. It called was the quicksand of unthrifty head. They passing by, a goodly ship did see, laden from far with precious merchandise, and bravely furnished as a ship might be, which through great disaventure or misprize, herself had run into that hazardize, whose mariners and merchants with much toil labored in vain to have recured their prize, and the rich wares to save from piteous spoil, but neither toil nor travel might her back recoil. On the other side they see the perilous pool, that called was the whirlpool of decay, in which full many had with hapless duel been sunk, of whom no memory did stay, whose circled waters wrapped with whirling sway, like to a restless wheel still running round, did covet, 
as they pass it by that way to draw the boat within the utmost bound of his wide labyrinth and then to have them drowned but the heedful boatman strongly forth did stretch his brawny arms and all his body strain that the utmost sandy breach they shortly fetch whiles the dread danger does behind remain sudden they see from midst of all the main the surging waters like a mountain rise and the great sea puffed up with proud disdain to swell above the measure of his guise as threatening to devour all that his power despise the waves come rolling and the billows roar outrageously as they enraged were or wrathful Neptune did them drive before his whirling chariot for exceeding fear, for not one puff of wind there did appear that all the three thereat walks much afraid, unweeting what such horrors strange did rear. Eftsoons they saw an hideous host arrayed of huge sea monsters, such as living sense dismayed most ugly shapes and horrible aspects such as dame nature self mote fear to see or shame that ever should so foul defects from her most cunning hand escape it be all dreadful portraits of deformity spring-headed hydras and sea-shouldering whales great whirlpools which all fishes make to flee bright scolopendres armed with silver scales mighty monoceros with immeasured tails the dreadful fish that hath deserved the name of death and like him looks in dreadful hue the grisly wasserman that makes his game the flying ships with swiftness to pursue the horrible sea satyr that doth shew his fearful face in time of greatest storm huge ziphius whom mariners eschew no less than rocks as travellers inform and greedy rose marines with visages deform all these and thousand thousands many more and more deformed monsters thousandfold with dreadful noise and hollow rumbling roar came rushing in the foamy waves enrolled, which seemed to fly for fear them to behold. Ne wonder if these did the night appall, for all that here on earth we dreadful hold, be but as bugs to fear and babes withal, compared to the creatures in the seas enthrall. Fear not, then said the palmer well advised, for these same monsters are not these indeed but are into these fearful shapes disguised by that same wicked witch to work us dread and draw from on this journey to proceed though lifting up his virtuous staff on high he smote the sea which calmed was with speed and all that dreadful army fast gan fly into great tethys bosom where they hidden lie quit from that Donger forth their course they kept, and as they went they heard a rueful cry, 
of one that wailed and pitifully wept, that through the sea the resounding plaints did fly. At last they in an island did espy a seemly maiden sitting by the shore that with great sorrow and sad agony seemed some great misfortune to deplore, and loud to them for succor called evermore which Guyon hearing straight his palmer bade to steer the boat towards that doleful maid, that he might know and ease her sorrow sad, who him avising better to him said, Fair sir, be not displeased if disobeyed, for ill it were to hearken to her cry, for she is inly nothing ill appaid, but only womanish fine forgery, your stubborn heart, to effect with frail infirmity. To which, when she your courage hath inclined through foolish pity, then her guileful bait she will embosom deeper in your mind, and for your ruin at the last await. The knight was ruled, and the boatman straight held on his course with staid steadfastness, nay ever shrunk, nay ever sought to bait his tired arms, for toilsome weariness, but with his oars did sweep the watery wilderness. And now they nigh approached to the stead, whereas those mermaids dwelt. It was a still and calmy bay, on the one side sheltered with the broad shadow of an hoary hill, and on the other side an high rock towered still, that twixt them both a pleasant port they made, and did like an half-theatre fulfil. There those five sisters had continual trade, and used to bathe themselves in that deceitful shade. They were fair ladies, till they fondly strived with the Heliconian maids for mastery, of whom they, overcommon, were deprived of their proud beauty, and the one moiety transformed to fish, for their bold circuitry, but the upper half their hue retained still, and their sweet skill in wonted melody, which ever after they abused to ill, to lure weak travellers whom gotten they did kill. So now to Guyon as he passed by, their pleasant tunes they sweetly thus applied. O oh, thou fair son of gentle fairy, Thou art in mighty arms most magnified above all knights that ever battle tried. O oh, turn thy rudder hitherward a while. Here may thy storm-bet vessel safely ride. This is the port of rest from troublous toil, the world's sweet inn from pain and wearisome turmoil. With that the rolling sea resounding soft, in his big base them fitly answered, and on the rock the waves breaking aloft, a solemn mien unto them measured, the whiles sweet Zephyrus loud whistled his treble, a strange kind of harmony, which Guyon's senses softly tickled, that he, the boatman, bade row easily, and let him hear some part of their rare melody. But him the palmer from that vanity with temperate advice discounselled, 
that they it passed, and shortly again descry the land to which their course they leveled, when suddenly a gross fog overspread, with his dull vapour all that desert has, and heaven's cheerful face enveloped, that all things one, and one as nothing was. And this great universe seemed one confused mass. Thereat they greatly were dismayed, ne wist how to direct their way in darkness wide, but feared to wander in that wasteful mist for tumbling into mischief unespied. Worse is the danger hidden than descried. Suddenly in innumerable flight of harmful fowls about them fluttering cried, and with their wicked wings them oft did smite, and sore annoyed groping in that grisly night. Even all the nation of unfortunate and fatal birds about them flocked were, such as by nature men abhor and hate, the ill-faced owl, death's dreadful messenger, the whore's night-raven, trump of doleful drear, the leather-winged bat, day's enemy, the rueful stritch, still waiting on the bier, the whistler shrill, that whoso hears doth die, the hellish harpies, prophets of sad destiny. All those, and all that else does horror breed, about them flew, and filled their sails with fear. Yet stayed they not, but forward did proceed, whilst the one did row, and the other stiffly steer, till that at last the weather gan to clear, and the fair land itself did plainly show, Said then the palmer, Lo, where does appear the sacred soil, Where all our perils grow? Therefore, sir knight, your ready arms about you throw. He hearkened, and his arms about him took, The whiles the nimble boat so well her sped, That with her crooked keel the land she struck. Then forth the noble Guyon sallied, And his sage palmer that him governed, but the other by his boat behind did stay. They marched fairly forth of naught dread, both firmly armed for every hard assay, with constancy and care against danger and dismay. Ere long they heard an hideous bellowing of many beasts that roared outrageously, as if that hunger's point or Venus' sting had them enraged with fell circuitry. Yet naught they feared, but passed on hardily, Until they came in view of those wild beasts, Who all at once gaping full greedily and rearing fiercely, Their upstarting crests ran towards to devour those unexpected guests. But as soon as they approached with deadly threat, The palmer over them his staff upheld, His mighty staff that could all charms defeat, Eftsoons their stubborn courages were quelled, And high advanced crests down meekly felled. Instead of fraying, they themselves did fear, And trembled, as them passing they beheld. Such wondrous power did in that staff appear, All monstrous to subdue to him that it did it bear. Of that same wood it framed was cunningly, 
of which Caduceus, Willon, was made. Caduceus, the rod of Mercury, with which he wants the Stygian realms invade, through ghastly horror and eternal shade. The infernal fiends with it he can assuage, and Orcus tame, whom nothing can persuade, and rule the furies when they most do rage. Such virtue in his staff had eke this palmer sage. Thence passing forth they shortly do arrive, whereas the bower of bliss was situate, a place picked out by choice of best alive, that nature's work by art can imitate, in which whatever in this worldly state is sweet and pleasing unto living sense, or that may daintiest fantasy aggrate, was poured forth with plentiful dispense, and made there to abound with lavish affluence. Goodly it was enclosed round about, as well there entered guests to keep within, as those unruly beasts to hold without, yet was the fence thereof but weak and thin. Not feared their force that fortilage to win, but wisdom's power, and temperance's might, by which the mightiest things have forced been, and eke the gate was wrought of substance light, rather for pleasure than for battery or fight. It framed was of precious ivory, that seemed a work of admirable wit, and therein all the famous history of Jason and Medea was irrit, her mighty charms, her furious loving fit, his goodly conquest of the golden fleece, his falsed faith and love too lightly flit, the wondered Argo, which in venturous peace first through the Euxine seas, bore all the flower of Greece. Ye might have seen the frothy billows fry under the ship as thorough them she went. That seemed the waves were into ivory, or ivory into the waves were sent, and other where the snowy substance sprint with vermel, like the boy's blood therein shed, a piteous spectacle did represent, and otherwhiles with gold besprinkled, it seemed the enchanted flame which did Creusa wed. All this and more might in that goodly gate be read, that ever open stood to all which thither came. But in the porch there sat a comely personage of stature tall, and semblance pleasing, more than natural, that travellers to him seemed to entice. His looser garment to the ground did fall, and flew about his heels in wanton wise, not fit for speedy pace or manly exercise. They in that place him genius did call, not that celestial power to whom the care of life and a generation of all that lives pertains in charge particular, who wondrous things concerning our welfare and strange phantoms doth let us oft foresee, and oft of secret ill bids us beware, that is ourself whom though we do not see, yet each doth in himself it well perceive to be. 
Therefore a god him sage antiquity did wisely make, and good Agadistes call. But this same was to that quite contrary, the foe of life, that good envies to all, that secretly doth us procure to fall, through guileful semblance, which he makes us see. He of this garden had the governal, and pleasure's porter was devised to be, holding a staff in hand for more formality. With diverse flowers he daintily was decked, and strowed round about, and by his side a mighty mazer bowl of wine was set, as if it had to him been sacrificed wherewith all new-come guests he gratified. So did he eke Sir Guyon passing by. But he his idle courtesy defied, and overthrew his bowl disdainfully, and broke his staff, with which he charmed semblance sly. Thus being entered, they behold around a large and spacious plain, on every side strowed with pleasance, whose fair grassy ground mantled with green and goodly beautified with all the ornaments of flora's pride wherewith her mother art as half in scorn of niggard nature like a pompous bride did deck her and too lavishly adorn when forth from virgin bower she comes in the early morn there too the heavens always jovial looked on them lovely still in steadfast state they suffered storm nor frost on them to fall their tender buds or leaves to violate nor scorching heat nor cold intemperate to afflict the creatures which therein did dwell but the mild air with season moderate gently attempered and disposed so well that still it breathed forth sweet spirit and wholesome smell, more sweet and wholesome than the pleasant hill of Rhodope, on which the nymphy that bore a giant babe herself for grief did kill, or the Thessalian Tempe, where of yore fair Daphne, Phoebus' heart with love did gore, or Ida, where the gods loved to repair, whenever they their heavenly bowers forlore. Or sweet Parnassi, the haunt of muses fair, or Eden's self, if aught with Eden mote compare. Much wondered Guyon at the fair aspect of that sweet place, yet suffered no delight to sink into his sense, nor mind affect, but passed forth, and looked still forward right, bridling his will and mastering his might till that he came unto another gate no gate but like one being goodly dight with boughs and branches which did broad dilate their clasping arms in wanton wreathings intricate so fashioned a porch with rare device arched overhead with an embracing vine whose bunches hanging down seemed to entice all passers-by to taste their luscious wine, and did themselves into their hands incline, as freely offering to be gathered 
some deep empurpled as the hyacinth, some as the rubine, laughing sweetly red, some like fair emeralds, not yet well ripened. And them amongst some were of burnished gold, so made by art to beautify the rest, which did themselves amongst the leaves enfold, as lurking from the view of covetous guest, that the weak boughs, with so rich load oppressed, did bow adown as overburdened. Under that porch a comely dame did rest, clad in fair weeds but foul disordered, and garments loose that seemed unmeet for womanhead. In her left hand a cup of gold she held, and with her right the riper fruit did reach, whole sappy liquor that with fullness swelled into her cup she screwed, with dainty breach of her fine fingers, without foul impeach. That so fair wine-press made the wine more sweet, thereof she used to give to drink to each, whom passing by she happened to meet. It was her guise, all strangers goodly, so to greet. So she to Guyon offered it to taste, who taking it out of her tender hand, the cup to ground did violently cast, that all in pieces it was broken fond, and with the liquor stained all the land, whereat excess exceedingly was wroth, yet note the same amend, ne yet withstand, but suffered him to pass, all were she loath, who not regarding her displeasure forward goeth. There the most dainty paradise on ground itself doth offer to his sober eye, in which all pleasures plenteously abound, and none does others' happiness envy. The painted flowers, the trees upshooting high, the dales for shade, the hills for breathing space, the trembling groves, the crystal running by, and that which all fair works doth most aggrace, the art which all that wrought appeared in no place. One would have thought, so cunningly the rude and scorned parts were mingled with the fine, that nature had for wantonness ensued art, and that art at nature did repine. So striving each the other to undermine, each did the other's work more beautify. So differing both in wills, agreed in fine. So all agreed through sweet diversity, this garden to adorn with all variety. And in the midst of all, a fountain stood of richest substance that on earth might be, so pure and shiny that the silver flood through every channel running one might see. Most goodly it with curious imagery was overwrought and shapes of naked boys, of which some seemed with lively jollity to fly about, playing their wanton toys, whilst others did themselves embay in liquid joys. And over all of purest gold was spread, a trail of ivy in his native hue, 
for the rich metal was so colored that white who did not well avised it view would surely deem it to be ivy true lo his lascivious arms adown did creep that themselves dipping in the silver dew their fleecy flowers they tenderly did steep which drops of crystal seemed for wantons to weep infinite streams continually did well out of this fountain sweet and fair to see the which into an ample laver fell and shortly grew to so great quantity that like a little lake it seemed to be whose depth exceeded not three cubits height that through the waves one might the bottom see all paved beneath with jasper shining bright that seemed the fountain in that sea did sail upright and all the margent round about was set with shady laurel trees thence to defend the sunny beams which on the billows bet and those which therein bathed mote offend as guyon happened by the same to wend two naked damsels he therein espied which therein bathing seemed to contend and wrestle wantonly ne cared to hide their dainty parts from view of any which them eyed sometimes the one would lift the other quite above the waters and then down again her plong as overmastered by might where both awhile would covered remain and each the other from to rise restrain the whiles their snowy limbs as through a veil so through the crystal waves appeared plain then suddenly both would themselves unheal and amorous sweet spoils to greedy eyes reveal as that fair star the messenger of morn his dewy face out of the sea doth rear or as the cyprian goddess newly born of the ocean's fruitful froth did first appear such seemed they and so their yellow hair crystalline humour dropped down apace whom such when guyon saw he drew him near and somewhat gan relent his earnest pace his stubborn breast gan secret pleasance to embrace the wanton maidens him espying stood gazing a while at his unwonted guise then the other one herself low ducked in the flood abashed that her astronger did avise but the other rather higher did arise and her two lily paps aloft displayed and all that might his melting heart entice to her delights she unto him bewrayed the rest hid underneath him more desirous made with that the other likewise up arose and her fair locks which formerly were bound up in one knot she lower down did loose which flowing long and thick her clothed around and the ivory in golden mantle gowned so that fair spectacle from him was reft yet that which reft it no less fair was found so hidden locks and waves from lookers theft naught but her lovely face she 
for his looking left. With all she laughed, and she blushed with all, that blushing to her laughter gave more grace, and laughter to her blushing as did fall. Now when they spied the knight to slack his pace, them to behold, and in his sparkling face, the secret signs of kindled lust appear, their wanton merriments they did increase, and to him beckoned, to approach more near, and shewed him many sights that courage cold could rear. On which, when gazing, him the palmer saw, he much rebuked those wandering eyes of his, and counselled well, him forward thence did draw. Now are they come nigh to the bower of bliss, of her fond favourites, so named amiss. When thus the palmer, Now, sir, well avise, for here the end of all our travel is, here one's Acrasia, whom we must surprise, else she will slip away, and all our drift despise. Eftsoons they heard a most melodious sound, of all that mote delight, a dainty ear, such as it once might not on living ground, save in this paradise, be heard elsewhere. Right hard it was, for white, which did it hear, to read what manner music that mote be, for all that pleasing is to living ear, was there consorted in one harmony, birds, voices, instruments, winds, waters, all agree. The joyous birds shrouded in cheerful shade, their notes unto the voice a tempered sweet. The angelical, soft, trembling voices made to the instruments divine respondents meet. The silver-sounding instruments did meet with the bass murmur of the water's fall. The water's fall with difference discreet, now soft, now loud, unto the wind did call. The gentle, warbling wind, low answered to all. There, whence that music seemed heard to be, was the fair witch herself now solacing with a new lover whom through sorcery and witchcraft she from far did thither bring. There she had him now laid a-slumbering, in secret shade, after long wanton joys, whilst round about them pleasantly did sing many fair ladies and lascivious boys that ever mixed their song with light licentious toys. And all that while, right over him she hung, with her false eyes fast fixed in his sight, as seeking medicine whence she was stung, or greedily depasturing delight, and oft inclining down with kisses light, for fear of waking him, his lips bedewed, and through his humid eyes did suck his sprite, quite molten into lust and pleasure lewd, wherewith she sighed soft as if his case she rude. The whiles some one did chant this lovely lay. Ah, see, who so fair thing dost feign to see, in springing flower the image of thy day? Ah, see the virgin rose, how sweetly she doth first peep forth with bashful modesty, that fairer seems 
the less ye see her may. Lo, see soon after, how more bold and free her buried bosom she doth broad display. Lo, see soon after how she fades and falls away. So passeth in the passing of a day of mortal life the leaf, the bud, the flower, ne more doth flourish after first decay, that erst was sought to deck both bed and bower, of many a lady and many a paramour. Gather therefore the rose whilst yet is prime, for soon comes age that will her pride deflower. Gather the rose of love whilst yet is time, whilst loving thou mayst love it be with equal crime. He ceased, and then gan all the choir of birds their diverse notes to attune unto his lay, as in approvance of his pleasing words. The constant pair heard all that he did say, yet swerved not, but kept their forward way, through many covert groves and thickets close, in which they creeping did at last display that wanton lady with her lover loose, whose sleepy head she in her lap did a soft dispose. Upon a bed of roses she was laid as faint through heat, or died to pleasant sin, and was arrayed, or rather disarrayed, all in a veil of silk and silver thin, that hid no whit her alablaster skin, but rather showed more white, if more might be, more subtile web arachne cannot spin, nor the fine nets which oft we woven see of scorched dew do not in the air more lightly flee. Her snowy breast was bare to ready spoil of hungry eyes, which no to therewith be filled, and yet through languor of her late sweet toil few drops more dear than nectar forth distilled, that like pure orient pearls adown it trilled, and her fair eyes, sweet smiling in delight, moistened their fiery beams, with which she thrilled frail hearts, yet quenched not. Like starry light, which sparkling on the silent waves, does seem more bright. The young man sleeping by her seemed to be some goodly swain of honourable place, that certes it great pity was to see him, his nobility, so foul deface. A sweet regard and amiable grace, mixed with manly sternness, did appear, yet sleeping, in his well-proportioned face. And on his tender lips the downy hair did now but freshly spring, and silken blossoms bear. His warlike arms, the idle instruments of sleeping praise, and his brave shield full of gold monuments, was foully rest, that none the signs might see. Nay for them, nay for honour carried he, nay aught that did to his advancement tend, but in lewd loves and wasteful luxury, his days, his goods, his body he did spend. O oh, horrible enchantment that him so did blend! The noble elf in careful palmer drew so nigh them, minding naught but lustful game, 
that sudden forth they on them rushed, and threw a subtile net, which only for the same the skilful palmer formerly did frame. So held them under fast, the whiles the rest fled all away for fear of fouler shame. The fair enchantress, so unwares oppressed, tried all her arts and all her slights, thence out to rest. And eke her lover strove, but all in vain, for that same net so cunningly was wound, that neither guile nor force might it distrain. They took them both, and both them strongly bound, in captive bands, which there they ready found. But her in chains of adamant he tied, for nothing else might keep her safe and sound. But verdant, so he hight, he soon untied, and counsel sage in steed thereof to him applied. But all those pleasant bowers and palace brave, Guyon broke down with rigor pitiless, nay aught their goodly workmanship might save them from the tempest of his wrathfulness, but that their bliss he turned to balefulness. Their groves he felled, their gardens did deface, their arbors spoil, their cabinets suppress, their banquet-houses burn, their buildings raise, and of the fairest late now made the foulest place. Then led they her away, and eke that night they with them led, both sorrowful and sad. The way they came, the same returned they right, till they arrived where they lately had charmed those wild beasts that raged with fury mad, which, now awaking, fierce at them gan fly, as in their mistress rescue, whom they lad. But them the palmer soon did pacify. Then Guyon asked, What meant those beasts which there did lie? Said he, These seeming beasts are men indeed, whom this enchantress hath transformed thus, while home her lovers, which her lusts did feed, now turn it into figures hideous, according to their minds like monstrous. Sad end, quoth he, of life intemperate, and mournful meed of joys delicious. But, Palmer, if it mote thee so a great, let them return it be unto their former state. Straightway he with his virtuous staff them strook, and straight of beasts they comely men became. Yet being men, they did unmanly look, and stare it ghastly, some for inward shame, and some for wrath to see their captive dame, but one above the rest in special, that had an hog been late height grill by name, repined greatly, and did him miscall, that had from hoggish form him brought to natural. Said Guyon, See the mind of beastly man that hath so soon forgot the excellence of his creation, when he life began, that now he chooseth, with vile difference, to be a beast and lack intelligence. To whom the palmer thus, the dunghill kind delights in filth and foul incontinence. Let grill be grill, and have his hoggish mind, but let us hence depart, whilst weather serves and wind.
End of Canto 12 End of Book 2 The Legend of Sir Guyon